This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. When you're raising capital, which is a critical function, whether you're an entrepreneur or a venture investor, you need to go into this meeting not feeling too worried about, you say, oh, thank you so much for having that meeting with me. I'm so grateful you made the time. You're so considerate to taking that meeting with me. You have to remember that you're pitching a business to someone who you want as a business partner, and they are lucky to be meeting with you, to potentially have a stake in what you're building, to have a seat at the cab tail with you for what, if it's successful, could generate unbelievable returns. My name is Somak Chattopadhyay. I'm the founder and managing partner of Armory Score Ventures. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the back end who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, pain. we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart. And today, how Somak Chattopadhyay built a new age venture capital company, investing in exceptional entrepreneurs in overlooked regions. Somak Chetapajai lives 30 minutes outside of Syracuse, New York, where he enjoys the great outdoors vibe of the area. He studied engineering at MIT, but spent the bulk of his career in investing. He has been in venture capital for nearly 18 years, spending time at Edison and Tribeca. Outside of investments, he's married and passionate about food and music. He's actually a classically trained violinist and enjoys cooking or consuming tandoor cuisine. In 2013, a group of professors and business people noticed that early-stage companies in Syracuse were required to move to New York City, primarily because there was lack of capital and access to talent. A year later, Somak and his team stepped out to solve this problem in New York regions and beyond. This is the creation story of Armory Square Ventures. Army Score Ventures is an early stage VC providing capital and connectivity to founders in secondary markets. When you look outside the large cities, a city like New York City or Boston or San Francisco, you find that there are many cities that are still incredible places for technology innovation. And they have all the makings of a major tech hub, things such as technical universities, research universities, incubators, accelerators, studios. 
larger companies that can help nurture and mentor the next generation of startup talent and be customers for these startups as well. But what these regions lack is a concentrated venture capital community. There is a need in these cities for not only the capital, but to be the first check when a company raises a seed or Series A round. These companies, in addition to capital, also require introductions to potential hires, heads of sales, heads of engineering, heads of technology, to their first marquee customer prospects, as well as connectivity to follow-on capital for the Series B, C, and beyond. That is what our jobs are. We are about investing capital. But also helping those companies scale across all parts of the startup journey, from the seed stage up through to the IPO or exit. We also like to say that we're an optimism engine for these regions. By creating optimism, we're able to inspire entrepreneurs to take the plunge and not just work at the large corporation, but actually build companies from the ground up. And that's not as common in these markets, at least historically. The genesis of Armors for Ventures started back in the in, in 2013. A group of investors and business leaders and university presidents got together back then and saw that there were a lot of entrepreneurs who were starting to build companies out of studios and accelerators that were based in Syracuse, New York, in a place called the Tech Garden. But what they found was, as soon as the company got to a certain level of scale and needed to raise a larger venture capital round, the VCs inevitably asked the founders to move to New York City or Silicon Valley for them to be taken seriously or to raise a round. What this group of early investors decided was that they needed to find a way to recruit a seasoned team of venture capitalists who could help raise a venture fund and then provide access to a network of talent and customers and following capital to create a true vibrant venture hub in this region. When we started Armory Square Ventures in 2014, Upstate New York had the least amount of venture capital dollars per capita of any region in the United States. In the last ten years since we've started, we've seen billions of dollars of venture capital raised, multiple major exits, including an IPO for one of our own portfolio companies, ACB Auctions, in 2021. With success begets success, talent begets talent, and that's something that we are very grateful to have played a part in terms of the story of creating vibrant venture hubs outside of New York City. Since we launched Armory Square Ventures in 2014, we've actually expanded our focus to include other secondary markets across the Northeast and Midwest. I have a partner, Nina, who's based in Indianapolis, and I have team members now spread across the Northeast as well. And we really still are focusing on core secondary markets in the Northeast and Midwest. We believe that what's required to create a successful company in Buffalo or Syracuse or Rochester has a lot of relevance in markets like Pittsburgh or Columbus and Indianapolis, and so we now spend a lot of time in some of those markets as well. Let's dive into what you might consider the MVP for Armory Square Ventures. So this would be back around where you were in Syracuse, right back around that time frame, the first version. You know, what did it look like? What sort of tools were you using to bring it to life? How did you get started? Tell me a little bit about that. 
raising a venture fund has some similarities to other technology startups or other small businesses, but there's also um, differences, right? At the end of the day, our product is raising a proper venture capital fund and then building a team that can ultimately invest that capital, find great companies, help those companies scale, and ultimately generate returns for investors. But our MVP for our fund was creating a venture fund that had enough capital to create a proof-of-concept fund that proved our thesis worked. When I moved to upstate New York in 2013, I met with some of the group of our early anchor investors who said they would commit to seeding my fund, but they would only put a portion of our fund. They wanted me to raise a large amount of capital from other people who shared their vision and passion for this investment thesis of secondary markets. So we agreed that we would need a fund with a minimum of at least $15 million. And I spent the greater part of 12 months, really a year, trying to cobble together that starting capital. I, I got referrals from the initial anchor investors, but my goal was to meet every important business leader, university president, founder, accelerator, all across New York State. I wanted to understand what was lacking in regions like upstate and the Midwest, and then how I could build a product that actually really served their needs. My tools were Excel, but dry erase board. I literally had a list of you know, people that I was researching or referred to through my existing investors. And my car, I basically logged tens of thousands of miles going up and down Interstate 90, meeting with all these people and really getting to know who they were, the way maybe when someone's running a presidential campaign campaign or a senatorial campaign and is trying to basically better understand his or her constituents. With any, you know, MVP, quote unquote, that first version of Armory Square Ventures, you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? You're you're going around, you're spending time in the car, hearing, you know, lots of no's, you're getting ghosted, but pushing through and getting that initial venture fund built. What sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in that early version of Armory Square Ventures, and how did you cope with those decisions? The, the most difficult point to identify first was knowing when to stop fundraising, right? So I met with a lot of people, but it was becoming very difficult, especially maybe midpoint of that year, to understand if we would actually ever make our targets. There were a lot of people who said, oh yeah, we find this idea interesting, but get back to me when you're closer to your target. But that's a very difficult thing to do if everyone tells you they're a follower versus being a leader and, and stepping up to be that first investor. Another you know, thing that I had to grapple with was how do I raise a fund but also spend time finding who my initial team members will be and also identify a pipeline of opportunities that could be the first few investments because that was another thing people kept asking for is, okay, even if I decide to invest in your fund, are there truly enough companies that are venture scale in cities like Syracuse, Buffalo, or Rochester? I ultimately did get to a target of just under $20 million when we closed our first fund in April of 2014. I will say that I was really intent on raising a fund closer to $30 million or $40 or $50 million because I felt like that was what I really thought is why I left a fund that was $100 million and I thought a $30 million plus fund I could attract at least other key partners. And I have to say that for a while I was really looking at where I was as being a failure. I thought that I had not hit my goals. And it's interesting now, with the benefit of hindsight, that fund that was just under $20 million ended up being one of the most successful venture funds in the entire industry. 
in its vintage, right? Returned hundreds of millions of dollars and had multiple successful exits. And had I decided to just continue fundraising, I may not have been able to capitalize on all the opportunities I saw being the only fund in the region at the time to help these companies at the time that more and more entrepreneurs were considering building in secondary markets. So I think sometimes you need to know where to draw the line. You need to know when you have to move from fundraising to actually building the product. And that's something that I also advise my entrepreneurs do as well. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. Let's move forward then. So you've got this first version. You've you've done the legwork. You've heard the no's, but now you've got the yeses. You have this first fund built. How have you progressed the product and how have you matured the product? And when I say product, I mean the venture capital fund, the Armory Square Ventures. How have you progressed it and matured it? And I think, how do you build a roadmap for a venture capital startup or, or a venture capital company? How do you how do you go about deciding what's most important? What's the most important next thing to do? When I started Armory Square Ventures, my goal was not just create a, a successful venture fund that lasts. You know, venture funds, as you may know, know will typically last ten years in, in period, and then you go about raising subsequent funds every few years. I really wanted to have something that could have permanent lasting impact on this region and be bigger than any original founding partner. My aspiration to this day is to be the benchmark or Sequoia capital for secondary markets like Upstate. And that doesn't work if you are a solo general partner who is just managing investments himself or herself. 
When I started the Venture Fund in 2014, I was the only full-time person, and then I brought on a very talented associate named Nicole Kamari, and she and I really helped build the original portfolio along with two other venture partners who were part-time members of our, my investment committee. Now that ASV is a larger fund, we have really focused on building out the pillars of a venture fund so it truly could survive without having too much reliance on any early founding partner. When I looked for inspiration for Armors Core Ventures, I spent a lot of time reading the history of other successful VC funds who are much bigger than me today or much older than me. There's a fabulous book that came out a few years ago called The Power Law by the author Sebastian Malaby. In fact, Sebastian spoke at our annual meeting last year. And I spent a lot of time reading the history of Sequoia and Bessemer and Andreessen Horowitz, people, both funds that started in the 1960s and 70s, the original pioneers of industry, and some newer entrants. And I saw that in all of the successful funds, the founding partners had to move from being great practitioners of venture capital and being great investors to building brands and platforms that could ultimately attract the next generation of talent and live well beyond when they pass the torch to the next generation. And that's really what my focus has been over the last few years, especially with the launch of our most recent fund. We now have grown from a team of two full-time people to eight people, and we have people who have functional specialization in all the key areas of investing, from sourcing to analysis and execution of investments, helping portfolio companies scale post-investment through recruiting and talent acquisition, as well as back office and fund administration and fundraising and marketing and operations. We also have a larger investment committee where we have people who have a blend of investment and operating experience in large, high-growth technology companies. I hear you mentioning you know, team expansion and people. How did you go about choosing or building your team? And I'm curious about what you looked for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you. About the venture capital industry, it's an industry where the supply of talent far outpaces the demand. We get tons of applicants looking for careers in venture capital, but when you peel back the onion of, of, of why they want to work for us, that's where we truly figure out who is truly ready for it, to be an investment professional ASV or really should work for investment funds in larger cities. We're looking for someone who not only is excited about our investment thesis and track record and vision, but wants to live our thesis. We want people who are comfortable driving up and down Interstate 90 like to cities like Buffalo and Syracuse in the middle of the winter when it's negative 20 degrees with wind chill and really camp out at the accelerators and studios in Columbus and Pittsburgh in Indianapolis it involves a lot more proactive searching and searching for diamonds in the rough in, in, in very inefficient markets, which is a very different skill set from more traditional VC where you are in a market like SF or New York City and you can just throw a dart and you'll see 100 entrepreneurs just within a 10-mile radius. For us, we're always on the road. We're always trying to really immerse ourselves in those regions and see, see where we can find the next great company in those regions. So we have spent a lot of time trying to focus on team members who have the right analytical capabilities, but also have the right cultural traits that we need in our firm. We focus on people who are humble, who are intellectually curious, who have tremendous grit and persistence, who have deep intellectual curiosity about how to help startups scale and have the humility to actually know that they don't know the answers to everything and ultimately the entrepreneurs are our customers. 
the way we find this talent is that we either get referrals through other people in our networks. We often sometimes work with some of these people on boards, having co-invested together. And then we also have a Ventures Fellows program, which helps us find the next generation of talent, people who are coming out of college or graduate school. Maybe they have a few years of startup or finance experience, but really want to apprentice themselves to a venture fund and learn how we help find companies and help them scale. That's how we've, we have built our team. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vercel edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for CodeStory listeners. Head over to terso.tech slash CodeStory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash CodeStory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This will be interesting. I'm curious about scalability and where that factor comes into play with ASV. How, how have you factored in any sort of approach or framework in how you scale what you're doing at ASV? It's possible for a, a high-growth technology company to scale from a few people. We have to thousands of people. That's what happened in our company in Buffalo, ACV Auctions. We invested when there were five, ten people, and today it's over 2,000 people. That doesn't work, we feel, in venture capital. If you were to talk about creating a, a business that scales efficiently, there are venture funds out there who follow the model that SoftBank did, which was grow from hundreds of millions to billions of dollars of capital. I call that the Walmartization of venture capital. I think there are funds who have been able to make that work, like an injury in Horowitz. But we think that in the seed and early stage, especially in secondary markets where entrepreneurs need a lot of attention and assistance, we believe that stage of investing is really a craft business where you need to have really deep partnership connections with the entrepreneurs as partners and not have layers of people in between you and those CEOs. And we also feel that 
there's that, that intimate connection that entrepreneurs get not only with our team members, but with our advisors and our investors who themselves often are leaders of very successful companies in various industries happens only when you can keep your overall fund size a certain to a certain size. So I've always designed our fund to be something where we can continue to operate as a craft business. And th- it is challenging to do it this way, Noah, because there's a lot of reasons why some of my peers have ultimately raised billions of dollars. Those billions of dollars gives you the fees to hire an army of people and operations and marketing and sales and platform. While that might be a more efficient way of running an organization, we feel that's not the style of investing we decide to pursue. And the way we ultimately generate returns is by really knowing every company that we work with. We also take a very concentrated approach to investing, right? We don't invest in 100 companies in a fund like some of our peers do. We invest in up to 15 companies of fund where we have a high enough conviction that we'll go to the ends of the earth for those businesses. And again, that's very difficult to do if you raise a much, much larger fund. As you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built with ASV, what are you most proud of? There's a lot of reasons why people pursue careers in entrepreneurship, or in my case, a career in venture capital. Some people like the glory of being able to get at the ground stage and being able to find the next Google or before anyone else does. I think that's really important to me. Ultimately, that this is about investing in non-obvious businesses and unproven founders. That is, of course, a very important part of the reason why I'm in venture capital. But the biggest reason why I am excited about being part of ASV is that we get to make a huge impact on regions that were left for dead for decades. When I came here to upstate New York in 2013, there was just a tremendous amount of pessimism. Many factories had shut down over the years. These cities across upstate New York and the Midwest had lost, in some cases, over 50% of their population in the last 40, 50 years. So everyone I met told me, Somak, I love your idea, but we have no business potential left in this region. Our children left grandchildren left, and I'm just here because I still have a business here, but I'm probably going to leave soon too. If you could tell me that there's a way that my children or grandchildren after coming to college here would stay on and found a business and scale their company, that would excite me. And that is what we aim to do. We ultimately are not an economic development firm. We focus on building high growth technology companies. But what's the most, the thing I'm proudest of doing is when the few times where we've had companies that have had massive success, where there's ACV, who, as I said, went public, and we've seen the founder ring the bell on the NASDAQ in 2021, was probably one of the proudest achievements of my life. Because I remember vividly when I would go for drinks with that founder in 2014, 2015, and he was worried about keeping the lights on. And everybody told him that there was no way he could create a world-class business. At the end of the day, optimism is the most critical component of a vibrant startup and ecosystem. And I'm happy to say that while we still have naysayers and people who don't believe that you can create the next big Amazon or Google in these regions, as we see more and more success stories in our region, it's becoming easier and easier to persuade people. And the optimism of the people who did already create successful companies rubs off on the next generation. In a nutshell, it's the optimism that we've helped infuse in this region. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. 
the whole nature of venture capital is that you're not going to get every investment right. You're taking bets on companies with very limited data, and if only a subset of those investments succeed, and hopefully wildly succeed, then you have a very successful venture fund. But to give you an example of one company that didn't go the way we necessarily wanted to, there was a company we invested in Syracuse called Good Uncle, which was focusing on providing high-quality food to secondary markets and college campuses like Syracuse, but ultimately tried to expand to markets across the country. A lot of areas where great food wasn't readily accessible, and we wanted to create something that was in some ways almost similar to an Uber Eats, but focusing on secondary markets like upstate New York, in Midwest and the Southeast. It became clear a few years after the investment that it was going to be a lot more capital intensive than we initially had hoped. And the founder is a phenomenal CEO. Wiley Cirilli was an early employee at Seamless and Grubhub, which he scaled to very significant scale. And he was also the founder of Single Platform that sold to Constant Contact for nine figures. He's an incredible entrepreneur, but just at the end of the day, the market always wins. We worked closely with Wiley once we knew that there wasn't the right product market fit and found multiple people on the strategic partner side that could look at either investing or acquiring the business. We introduced the team to the venture arm at Aramark. They initially looked at investing and then they ultimately acquired the company and actually post-acquisition. Good Uncle became one of the most important divisions of Aramark, especially in corporate and college services categories. There's a Kenny Rogers song that says you got to know when to hold and when to fold. And in this case, it's not just about the investors, it's about the founders working with the investors, knowing when is the right time to fold. So what does the future look like for Armory Square Ventures, for, you know, your funds, for where you are now? I hear some expansion, you know, is already going on. Tell me what the future looks like. When you look at what's happening right now in the venture capital industry, there is a tremendous amount of contraction. We had many funds, hundreds of funds appear in the last few years that were micro funds. But once the the capital markets slowed down and the technology private capital markets contracted with higher interest rates, and I feel what you'll see happen over time, this happened in the past venture cycles, is you will have the large mega funds like the Sequoias and the Excels and the Andreessen and Horowitzes or the General Catalysts. And then you'll have the specialist funds who either have tremendous expertise in certain subsectors, call it like enterprise software or supply chain technology or climate tech. And then there's people who have real geographic focus. We tend to focus on B2B SaaS and marketplaces in terms of technology spaces, but we actively focus on secondary markets and the geographic side. And we think that venture capital is a local business. So our goal is to become the Sequoia or benchmark for these secondary markets to create a team and a model that can scale for generations to come and and continue to generate world-class returns. And it is my sincere hope that 10, 20 years from now, people don't even know who Somac is, that they maybe read about him in the annals of history, but they'll remember that a company, that, that Armory Score Ventures played a key role in backing world-class companies in regions like upstate in the Midwest. And when anyone calls from a company and says, I'm an Armory Score Ventures portfolio company, that really means something. It means that it's a certain level of diligence that's been done before the investment was made. And it also speaks to the type of board person, board member who's working with those companies to help them scale. That is what groups like Sequoia and Benchmark have in spades. And that's my aspiration for Armory Square Ventures. 
Okay, so so let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. I have so many mentors in this business from the people who taught me venture investing at Edison. I actually, if you look at our team today, I have multiple people who came from my days at Edison Partners back when I started in the venture industry almost 20 years ago, who now work with me at ASV. So I'm grateful to people like Michael Koppelman, who is a member of our investment team, or Steve Hovagimian, who actually recruited me to Edison nearly 18 years ago and taught me a lot of the principles of sourcing investments and managing investments and scaling investments. I've learned a lot from my wife, Pia, from obviously my family, my parents, my in-laws. Those obviously people have had a huge influence on me. I also am deeply influenced by philosophers who have written about risk-taking and leading a rewarding life. People like Nassim Taleb wrote Fooled by Randomness or Anti-Fragile. He taught me the importance of not conflating luck with skill. Or if you look at the great Stoic philosophers... Uh, people like Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus, they taught me a lot about the psychology of persistence and grit and how adversity is the way. There are so many principles that these early Stoic philosophers wrote about that I think are so applicable to the world of startups and VC. And I finally want to thank my actual entrepreneurs themselves, um, CEOs like George Shamoon at ACD Auctions or Crystal Mobayeni at, at Bento Box taught me a lot about how I could be a better board member, how to grow my team, how I ultimately create a product that really other entrepreneurs would want when they choose a venture capitalist. So I'm grateful to all of these people for inspiring me and and helping shape ASV to be where they are today. So Mike, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing, or maybe they are starting the next big fund. They're jazzed about it. They're excited. They can't wait to show it off to the world or can't wait to pitch it to you. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? I would offer two pieces of advice to anyone who's looking at starting a company or a venture capital fund. The first thing I would look at is when you're starting a company or a venture fund is think long and hard about why you're building this business, right? When I started in venture capital 15 years ago, I used to spend a lot of time with people in New York City. And at the time, doing a startup was considered a little déclassé. Much to my wife's chagrin, I would have these lunches or dinners with groups of friends, and I'd see everyone around the table was an investment banker or a consultant or a trader. And I would say, guys, you're Don't do that corporate job. I know you're thinking you're making a lot of money. The really exciting profession is entrepreneurship and startups, right? And I feel like definitely at times may have persuaded a few people to take the plunge and go into startups. And I'm grateful that some of them have gone on to have really successful careers. But today, I actually probably spend more time telling people, especially friends and family members who who tell me, oh, I want to quit my job, I want to start a company, or I want to raise a venture capital fund, I try to really help them understand how much of a sacrifice this is. It places such a tremendous strain on your family life, your friendships, when it's not for the faint of heart. I aged a lot over the years when I was starting this company. It was one of the most gratifying things I've ever done. But if you just are mildly interested in it and just think it sounds cool, there's so many other ways to make money. The other thing that I would say as advice is 
when you're raising capital, which is a critical function, whether you're an entrepreneur or a venture investor, you need to go in this meeting not feeling too worried about saying, oh, thank you so much for me having that meeting with me. I'm so grateful you made the time. You're so considerate to taking that meeting with me. You have to remember that you're pitching a business to someone who you want as a business partner, and they are lucky to be meeting with you, to potentially have a stake in what you're building, to have a seat at the cab table with you for what, if it's successful, could be could generate unbelievable returns. So if you go into meeting thinking that they're lucky to have that meeting with you, that they are lucky to partner with you, which they are, right? It doesn't mean it's going to be a success. I think that really helps you know, frame the discussion a different way and you start looking at those people as your potential business partners versus someone you're begging for capital. Oh, that's fantastic advice. Well, Samik, thank you for being on the show today, and thank you for telling your creation story of Armory Square Ventures. Thank you so much, Noah. It was a true pleasure. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.